This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI TV. Good morning. It's Tuesday, September the 13th, 2022. Guess who's back? It's Dave Brown for now with Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. If it sounds like I've been consuming Irish cocktails for a couple of days, that is correct. Jigging, singing, and enjoying lots of Irishness. Coming up on the show today, NHL historian Liam McGuire reflects on the 50th anniversary of the summit series between Canada and the Soviet Union. Lawrence Gunther will chat about the rise in remote work and asks the question, what is it going to take for companies to make employees return back to the office? And we have another edition of the Weekly Cute News Quiz. Karen McGee will be here. Alex Smythe will be here. And we'll bring in Jim Crisco into the trivia mix. Lots coming your way. Really excited to be back in the big chair today. I want to issue a special thank you to all the crew around the office who have picked up some slack for me while I was away, but specifically to Andy Frank, who came in and pinched hit and did a remarkable job yesterday on the show. Andy, well done by you. And a big thanks to Mike for filling in for me on Friday. And our senior producer, Andrika Delaner, will keep it all together with uh, the crew behind the scenes. So I've been told I'm no longer allowed to go anywhere. So if you don't like me too bad, you're stuck with me for a long, long time. Let's get to our top story of the day. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will unveil the government's plan to lessen the impact of inflation later today. Rob Westgate looks ahead. Both Liberal and NDP sources are telling the Canadian press the plan includes doubling GST rebate checks for six months, as well as a temporary dental care benefit for some families with young children and an expanded housing allowance payment. All three are initiatives the NDP have been asking for since the spring as inflation began weighing heavily on Canadians with low and modest incomes. Now, the announcement was supposed to have happened last week during a cabinet retreat in Vancouver, but that was delayed following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. Sounds like Rob may have been at the wedding that I was at this weekend as well. Let's stay in the world of federal politics. New Conservative leader Pierre Poilievre addressed his caucus for the first time since winning leadership of the party in a landslide. Poilievre put a large focus on cost of living. If you really understand the suffering of Canadians, Mr. Prime Minister, if you understand that people can't gas their cars, feed their families, or afford homes for themselves, if you really care, commit today that there will be no new tax increases on workers and on seniors. None. Party have laid out what his priority will be in the short term as leader of the party. But there will be no compromise on this point. Conservatives will not support any new tax increases and we will fight tooth and nail to stop the coalition from introducing any. Podiev also took a little bit of time and reflected on his own life and what it means to have opportunity. 
I want every single Canadian to have the opportunity that I had, to come from modest beginnings, but to work hard every day, to make sacrifices, to be responsible, and to have all of those virtues pay off as they realize their dreams in their country, a country with a small government and big citizens, where the state is servant and the people are the masters. Before I played that sound, I used the expression landslide victory, and sometimes that gets overused in politics. But in case you didn't know, listen to this. Paul Lierf captured nearly three all of the 338 ridings in the leadership contest and picked up nearly 70% of the votes. In the, the world of party politics, that is a landslide and a strong mandate from the constituency. Let's turn to international politics and war. Ukrainian troops continue their counteroffensive. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. In a nightly address, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said, from the beginning of September until today, our soldiers have already liberated more than 6,000 square kilometers, that's nearly 4,000 miles, of the territory of Ukraine in the east and south. However, many of the claims of military success have not been independently verified. Rubbing salt into Russia's wounds, British intelligence says that one of Moscow's premier forces, the 1st Guards Tank Army, had been severely degraded. I'm Charles de Ledesma. So we've talked about the economy, we've talked about war. Let's move into the world of entertainment for a moment because the Emmy Awards were handed out last night in Los Angeles. Oscar Wells Gabriel recaps the happenings. I am an endangered species. A night of victory and affirmation for several of the winners, chief among them Cheryl Lee Ralph, who sang in triumph as she accepted the award for Best Supporting Actress for Abbott Elementary. She then told anyone who ever doubted their dreams to see her as an inspiration. I am here to tell you that this is what believing looks like. <laughs> This is what striving looks like. That theme was picked up by Lizzo, who won for Best Competition Show for Watch Out for the Big Girls. She literally gave them a shout out. Big girls, are they here? The night's other big winners for programs included Squid Game, Euphoria, Saturday Night Live, and among performers, Jason Sudeikis, Zendaya, and Michael Keaton. I'm Oscar Wells Gabriel. So the Emmys are going to relate to our daily poll, but first let's get to the results of yesterday's poll, which was probably more serious business. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Yesterday you were asked, will you be watching the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II next Monday? 25% of you said, I will watch it live. 15% of you said, I'm watching highlights. And 60% of you uh, matching up with some new polling that's been put out saying, no, I will not watch out. We did have a couple of responses here. We had some Facebook users write in. I will be recording the funeral. Today's daily poll, Accessible Media on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. We're... Uh, using the Emmys as a jumping off point and getting a little bit of entertainment talk out of the way off the top. Which entertainment award show is most likely to influence your content consumption habits? Is it the Emmys? Is it the Grammys? Is it the Oscars? Or is it the Tonys? So Emmys TV, Grammys music, Oscars movies, or Tonys Broadway and other forms of musicals. Not going to lie, guys. Usually the Emmys and the Grammys are about 18 months behind the trend. So I would say those two get eliminated immediately. 
even though it's always neat to know what musicians are garnering interest and in, it's also really easy to consume music compared to other forms of media. You get to go to one place to stream music as opposed to 72 billion to watch actual content. Tony's not really a Broadway guy over here. I let Karen McGee keep me posted on what's important in the Broadway world and then I follow her lead. So put me down for the granddaddy of them all. I'm all about the Oscars and the Academy Awards. Alex Smythe, what say you? Yeah, Dave, I, I'm probably in the same boat as you. I, I would say definitely out of these four, the Oscars. But, you know, even over the past, what, five, six, seven years, I, I think even the Oscars seem to have lost a bit of its luster just in terms of some of the winners and uh, kind of the, the categories, the nominations. There was a lot more controversy on who's getting nominated, who's not getting nominated. So, um out of those four, I would say the Oscars, but even then, I'm I'm really not looking at the Oscars as this old standard that it once used to be, because it used to mean something when you would see, oh, Academy Award winner on, you know, the DVD cover when you're strolling through a blockbuster back in the <laughs> early 2000s. I know I'm dating myself here in a nostalgia-fueled uh, um, kind of memory, but... Uh, that that used to mean something, and that was like the goal saying, oh, I know this is going to be a great movie. But nowadays, it's like there's so much content out there. There's so many great films and television that, you know, don't always even get recognized, or you know they're not going to get recognized by the Academy because maybe they're on streaming services, or yeah. it's a non-conventional release. So it's like there's so many different... Um, I guess, rules and regulations on, oh, it has to be released in theaters. Oh, it has to have a certain um, release window for it to be considered that it kind of limits what is and what isn't being considered in these award ceremonies. I actually think they should go back to that standard because they've really loosened that standard and the pandemic was obviously part of that. Everybody understands that we had to make changes during the pandemic, but now that we're back to a little bit more of something resembling normalcy or whatever we want to call normal these days, I think we need to get that window back in place. It says something must be in the theaters for four or five weeks because it's the notion of scattered streaming that's killing monoculture. But at least with the Oscars for years and years, about two months before the ceremony, you'd get the list of sort of 10 movies. Boom. Here are nominees for Best Pictures. You can go out and find these movies, oftentimes in the theater. It makes it easier to create a framework of monoculture, whereas things like the Emmys are across 72 cable channels, 85 streamers, YouTube this, TikTok that. It's really pretty much impossible to stay on top of something like the Emmys. So I still think the Oscars gets a little bit of that love. And something like the Tonys, because it is so Broadway and musical focused, at least you know, trip to New York or Chicago or Toronto, and you're going to see the good stuff. Let's bring in Eliza Rocco. Eliza, what do you think? Which of the award ceremonies is most likely to influence your content consumption habits? Well, looking at that at this list, at first I was like, the Emmys. I love TV. TV is like my favorite medium. So I was like, of course the Emmys. And then I looked at the Emmys list and I realized this does not influence me at all. I already watch what was it? I did the math. 12 out of 14 shows that were nominated. <laughs> well, that just shows you have good taste. Exactly, exactly. But I'm like, these. If, if I'm already watching, like, the majority of these shows, this isn't really influencing me at all. And maybe mm -hmm. it's because of what you said. It comes out so late in the year. So I guess I'm going to have to go Oscars. Um, there was a lot of movies this year from the Oscars that I was like, oh, my God, that looks so great. Have I watched them? 
no. Okay. <laughs> but I plan to. Yeah. I definitely plan to. Time is such a flat circle. So Ted Lasso, uh, uh, Jason Stakis picks up the Best Actor nom- nominee or win last night, and it really feels like the most recent season of Ted Lasso was released twenty thousand years ago. Right? I think it was like January, wasn't it? It was like January yeah, or February yeah. of this year. I mean, that was a great season. Oh, he really des- he really deserved that award, and his speech was so lovely too. Maybe uh, I I think there may actually be a couple clips in there. Maybe we can get to that by the end of the show. But we're a little tight for time, which actually is a great way of me segueing and saying thank you, Eliza. Thank you. <laughs> we may talk to you a little bit later <laughs> in the show. In the meantime, at Accessible Media on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook is where you vote on the poll. And you can also join Alex Smythe for the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, scattered showers with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers an hour with a high of 15. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny and a high of 27. Montreal, Quebec, it's cloudy with showers and possible thunderstorms later this afternoon, or later this morning, sorry, and about 15 millimeters is expected and a high of 22. In Ottawa, Ontario, showers and possible thunderstorms later. Rainfall warning is in effect with up to 75 millimeters expected and a high of 21. In Toronto, Ontario, it's clouds rolling in with possible showers or thunderstorms this afternoon and a high of 19. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's currently clear but becoming a mix of sun and clouds later and a high of 23. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, Sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds later, and a high of 18. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. It's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers this afternoon. 18 is the high. In Calgary, Alberta. It's cloudy with a chance of showers this morning, and an air quality statement is in effect due to widespread smoke in the area, Mm. and it is a high of 23. Alex, I've I've been hearing about that. I've got some friends in upstate Washington who've also been dealing with some of that air quality. Apparently Mm -hmm. on Saturday, the air was just full of ash, just full of ash. And the lineups at the car washes yesterday, extensive. Yeah, and so it seems like the the wildfires are still burning. And uh, I I know having been out in in Alberta for a few years, it's something that you kind of... It becomes a a recurring trend every single uh, fall season. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Well, I know uh, we're just wishing folks well out there. And if you can stay inside and stay safe, enjoy your day. So to Edmonton, Alberta, as we were just talking about, it's mainly sunny and hazy with a high of 23. In Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, clouds are clearing up this morning with a high of 16. Vancouver, BC. It's mainly sunny, hazy, and a high of 21. And finally, Victoria, BC. It's a mix of sunny clouds becoming hazy this afternoon and a high of 18. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, NHL historian Liam McGuire will reflect on the 50th anniversary of the summit series between Canada and the Soviet Union. See, the producers know how to put me in a position to succeed. Do a little sports talk early in the show when I'm coming off vacation. They know that's where my brain can go first. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's been 50 years since the summit series between Canada and the Soviet Union took place. A series that meant a lot on the ice in terms of its hockey implications, but also found itself being a pretty significant geopolitical event as well. For his thoughts on this, let's bring in Liam McGuire. Liam is an NHL historian and author of four books on the subject and joins us from my old hometown of Ottawa, Ontario. Mr. McGuire, thank you for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Dave, pleasure to be with you. So, Liam, I'm curious. I set up the juxtaposition there in the, int- in, in the intro. What do you think? Do you think the legacy of this series has more to do with geopolitics or more to do with its influence on the game of hockey? Wow. Uh, that's a really tough question because... I think it was significantly important on both those fronts. I mean, the game of hockey changed dramatically, not the least of which is every single European player or former East Bloc player are from a former East Bloc country that's cashing a paycheck in North America anywhere today at any level owes their very existence and ability to earn that living thanks to the Summit Series and how it played out, let alone what what transpired transpired in the game in terms of training and, and all of the other intricacies that go into being a good hockey team that they incorporated from us and we incorporated from them. That's on the ice. Off the ice, the way you set that up, Dave, uh, boy, I'll tell you, it was, it was an absolute firecracker of a month that was centered around a sport, and yet the implications in terms of politics were so much more than just a hockey series. So I don't know that there's one that's more impactful than the other. I think they both are just just massively, massively linked together and forever will be. And for that reason, it's why it's the most significant sporting moment in Canadian and hockey history. That's uh, me being a very ungracious host, forcing you into a binary like that on the first question, but you stick handled it very, very well as you were coming down the wing. Let's talk about the hockey here, because as you say, this was a huge moment for European and Eastern Bloc players. And now we're talking about an NHL that is just loaded with talent from all over the world. What did Team Canada know about the Soviet style of hockey going into the series? We, we actually had more knowledge available to us than, uh, unfortunately, than they, than they ended up using to any degree of, of, uh, of preparation. Harry Sendon, who came out of retirement, essentially, to coach the team, played against the Soviets numerous times. He was with the Whitby Dunlops when they won the world championship. I mean, he tried to tell the guys. There was uh, several other players on the team, Rod Sealing. Uh, Brian Glennie on the roster, he didn't play during the eight games, but on the roster, they had won medals for Canada in previous Olympics, albeit bronze, but they, they had experience playing against the Soviets and tried to tell their brethren that this, these guys are good. They can play the game and nobody was listening. Nobody cared. Uh, every, every, everything that was said by the, the Toronto Maple Leaf scouts who went over and scouted Tretiak and saw the poor equipment and saw the bizarre training and circling on the ice and anything they caught in any any ice time that they saw prior to the series nobody gave it an ounce of respect and as a result on that Saturday night September 2nd 1972 the hockey world was shook to its core and uh, none more so than here in Canada so 
it uh, it will stand the test of time from game one and right through the rest of the month. And keep in mind, when I say European, what a lot of people over time seem to have forgotten because we're now several generations beyond those who actually have active memories of watching it. We played two games right now, 50 years ago at this time. We were in Sweden. We were practicing every day on the big ice to get used to it. And we, in just a few days' time, 50 years ago, would play our first of two games against the Swedish national team. Then after we won game eight on that Thursday, September 28th, we flew to what was then Czechoslovakia and played their national team, who actually were the defending world champions at Mm. that time. Mm. So we played, you know, in four countries, three teams in a month. And that's why it's not just the fact that we came back and, and did what we did under on, largely on Paul Henderson's back, but it was also what happened in Sweden and what happened in, in, in Czechoslovakia. Because next thing you know, those players are flooding over to North America. Mm-hmm. They've been seen for the first time. Gloria Solomon, Inga Hammerstrom, Tommy Bergman, Lars Eric Schoberg, uh, yeah, Peter Stashny, all of these guys. Vladislav Nedimansky just went in the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. So it was... Uh, it was a critically important month for a lot of reasons, and it fashioned us the, the greatest sporting moment in Canadian history, but it has so much, so much more widespread, widespread impactful associations. I, I think you just laid it out in that answer, but in terms of the growth of the sport, where do you think we'd be right now without something like the Summit Series? Things, even things like the World Juniors or the Canada Cup or the Olymp or, or a pro athletes, uh, NHLers going to the Olympics. Where do you think yeah. we'd be without a series like 72? Well, again, another really great question. Let's say, let's say for whatever reason, it, it, it doesn't happen. And the WHA definitely don't do theirs in 74. It absolutely would not have. And the World Juniors actually started in 1974. And they started as an exhibition tournament. It became a fully sanctioned International Ice Hockey Federation event in 1977. We, Canada, didn't send a national team until 1982. We were sending club teams that had won the Memorial Cup the year before, and then the next year lose half their roster and send over a team. We are getting killed. Then we sent our first national team in 82, and we won gold. Does any of that start without the Summit Series? Probably, but not in the time period that it did for sure, and maybe not even in the fashion that it did, to be perfectly honest. The Summit Series, and as I said, those games against Sweden and then Czechoslovakia, it whetted our appetite. It 100% led to the Canada Cup starting in 1976. And that time, Bobby Orr played and Bobby Hall played. And that is the greatest team ever assembled at one time, that Canadian team from the Canada Cup in 1976. There were 18 Hall of Famers on wow. that roster. Wow. But 72 gave us the greatest, most dramatic most triumphant, and the beginning, really, of two things. Number one, that was the first time ever in this country that anything was called Team Canada. First time ever. And now now, now, now you can send over all walks of life and anything. If you're wearing the, the, the maple leaf on, on a crest, on, on a shirt or a suit or anything, you're, you're, you're part of Team Canada. Mm. That all started in 1972. The second thing it gave us was this entire mantra of Canadians never giving up, of fighting to the last minute, something that got lost post-Second World War and leading right up to the Summit Series as we became a different type of country 
that came crashing back and has been championed by countless hundreds upon hundreds of men, women, boys and girls representing our country in all different aspects. That never give up attitude, winning those last three games on Moscow ice uh, under the most incredible duress imaginable on and off the ice is what it single-handedly has made an identity of Canadians 50 years ago. Liam, so oftentimes we hear about the Paul Henderson goal. Pretty much anybody I talk to over the age of 60 years old can tell me where they were when that goal went in, whether it was watching on TV in a school gymnasium or listening to the radio at work or wherever it may be. I'm curious, beyond the Henderson goal, do you have an enduring memory from the series? <clears throat> well, yeah, hundreds. I mean, I, I look at you're talking to a guy here who has gotten to know all of these men, those that are still with us. We've lost 10. Uh, I, know, I know them all intimately. We're, we're the best of friends. I have emceed their events for most of the 2000s numerous times. And I, I was 13 years old. That was a life-altering moment for me, that series. I'm a massive hockey guy. My entire class was. I was in grade eight at St. Leonard's in Manatick that Thursday afternoon in Pat Jennings' class. And when Henderson scored, it was a life-altering moment for me. And it has is, it is, it is stayed that way through time. So I got lots of memories. My favorite player of all time is Yvonne Cornway, the goal he scored in Toronto in game two. Pete Mahalich, his shorthanded goal in that same game. Phil Esposito's speech at the conclusion of the game in Vancouver on Friday night, September 8, 1972, should be shown in every single Canadian school. Every September, it should be shown. You know what that speech did, Dave? That speech rallied this country. The players never saw it. The players didn't see it for months, some of them not for years. There were no VCRs or VHSs or Betamaxes <laughs> in those days. There was no late-night 24-hour sports channel that, yeah, let's just flip it on and see what happened tonight. There was none of that, right? So what that speech did, if you think about this, in 1972, 50 years ago, that speech rallied 3,000 Canadians, 3,000 men and women, got on a plane and flew to Moscow in 1972 wow. to support the team. And to a man, those players will tell you, those that are still with us, God bless them all, that that was critically important in, in their comeback. <clears throat> and uh, do I have an endearing moment? I mean, I, I, like literally every game, sadly, the ones we lost, of course, are seared in my mind. But, yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul's goal in game seven with 206 to play, it was a four-on-four and he beat every every guy on the ice, and he roofed it over Trechak. One of the nicest goals you'll see in hockey history. All they needed was a tie. The Soviets just needed one one tie in those last three games. We, we win them all by one goal. Mm. The same guy gets the winner in all three games. He gets the winner with 206 to play in game seven and 34 seconds to go in game eight. Do I have a memory? <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> Listen, I, I can quote you chapter verse from game one to game eight and everything in between. So, yeah, I got a memory. I suspect when you've uh, written as many books as you have, yes, it definitely implies there's more than just one enduring memory. Liam, we're so appreciative for your perspective and passion this morning. I know you're doing excellent work around the Ottawa area in terms of so much sports programming and across the country. Thank you for making a little bit of time for us today. 
My pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me on on such a significant anniversary. That's Liam McGuire, a hockey historian, NHL historian, and an author of four books on the game. Liam McGuire, one of the uh, best there is. Coming up next, another one of the best there is, also coming from the Ottawa area, it's Lawrence Gunther. He'll talk about the rise in remote work and what it might take to get employees to get back to the office. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Lori Paris with your Morning Business Minute. Markets on both sides of the border reported gains to start off the week, with Canada's main stock index posting a triple-digit increase. The S&P TSX Composite Index added 213 points to 19,987. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 229 points to 32,381. The S&P 500 index climbed 43 points to 4,110, while the Nasdaq Composite increased by 154 points to 12,266. Asian stocks followed Wall Street higher ahead of data that traders hope will show surging U.S. inflation eased in August, reducing pressure for more interest rate hikes. Japan's Nikkei gained 75 points to close at 28.614. South Korea's Kospi climbed 65 points to 2,449. And the Shanghai Composite Index inched up one and three quarter points to 3,263. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77.02 cents U.S., virtually unchanged from yesterday's close of 77.04 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Lori Paris. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. A topic that we keep circling back to is the rise in remote work. Obviously, it's something that really got catalyzed during the pandemic, but it existed well before any variants of COVID-19 were spreading. And now as things are easing up a teensy tiny bit, uh, sort of kind of a little bit, I'm never quite sure how to truly like reflect that. Hospitalizations are still hovering around 5,000 nationally. It's still a lot of people. That's like as many people as we had in the hospital during the Delta wave. But let's say return to normalcy-ish, however you want to define normal, does mean more companies and governments are asking people to get back to the office. So what does that mean for remote work? Well, let's bring in Lawrence Gunther to talk about that. Of course, we're talking about working remotely indoors, but Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find on AMI-audio and available as a podcast. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. Lawrence, let's start with your experience on this. Are you one of these nomadic office workers? Well, you know, it started for me a long time ago, like almost 30 years ago, uh, my first job in uh, government. And uh, I had this, still had this cabin in Cape Breton. So I said to my boss, you know, as we came to my first summer, I had three weeks paid vacation. I said, look, I got this large project. How about you let me take this with me and I'll do it uh, from my cabin. So I stretched three weeks into six, but it meant I had to work during my vacation a little bit, you know, here and there, make sure I got that project done. Then um, about five years ago, I started taking it, you know, working from home one day a week and then two days a week. And then I got a, you know, I started working from home permanently and um, I quite enjoy it. And more recently, Dave, I got a new travel trailer that has a bunkhouse in the back that can be easily converted into a sort of a remote office space. So... (laughs) I'm I'm mobile, my friend. Uh, Lawrence knows how to live. There's no doubt about it. How would you describe the efforts of some companies trying to ramp up the uh, return to office? 
a lot of it are a lot of the companies are pitching this as a creativity thing and 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 rightfully so for companies that are depending on new products new policies new you know services putting a bunch of people in a room and say hey think of something to you know address this think of a new pitch a new way we can do business it's not, you can't do that virtually as well as you can by putting people in a room. And uh, so there's that. But I think there's also a little bit of a fear of, uh, you know, accountability. You know, who's working on what? Who's doing what? Are they actually working? And then there's just some employees who just want to get back to the office. They're tired of being home with screaming kids and uh, they want the kids to go back to daycare. They want to get back to the yeah. office. So there's that too. I'm 1000 times more productive in the office than I am at home. Home is where a lot of like fun distractions are. Also, you know, not everybody necessarily can live in a big house where they can sort of part portion off an office area. In my case, mm. my remote work trickles right into my living room. So it makes for me, I actually find it makes my work life balance worse to try and yeah. work from home. So I actually like coming into the office. I like coming from the studio. I also think I can understand where a manager would come from. The logistics of remote work are a lot more difficult. People still don't know how to unmute themselves on Zoom calls or Teams <laughs> calls. People are still really struggling with technology. I'm just at the point where I'm kind of, where I'm personally kind of done with it. <laughs> yeah, there's that going on for sure. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, pretty cool innovations now that uh, make it possible for you to work anywhere you want, right? I mean, things are happening uh, from a technological uh, capacity that have encouraged people to sort of uh, telework. And uh, people have taken advantage of COVID to just move away. Like they've given up their apartments, they've sold their condos, they've moved to their cottages, or they've even relocated to their home provinces. And uh, you've seen a lot of that happening. You know, people have moved out from the cities and, and spread out. So what are you going to do about that? Are employers going to, you know, they, they've got to wrestle with that one yeah. now too, right? Do, do you think that's sustainable? Do you think it's sustainable to even have like managers who are like provinces away from their employees, from their actual place of work? I've, I've managed teams that are spread across Canada and I have friends that do it. And uh, it's not it's not impossible. I mean, Dave, I took over a team once. I had an employee in Baltimore. Her husband was working at John Hopkins University. She was relocated down there with him. It was a year before I actually met her. And when we actually met and shook hands, it was, you know, anticlimactic, right? We ready, you know, she hated me as a boss. And I thought, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, it, like, <laughs> you know, you already had the relationship established. You know, the actual meet, shaking a hand and it was just like, oh, yeah, well, okay. So now we actually meet, mm -hmm, whatever. <laughs> uh, Lawrence, you made the reference before to a lot of folks who've made something of a migration, right? They've sold their apartment yeah. or they've sold their condo and they've either moved to, let's call it, a remoter community or a rural community. I know a lot of folks in the Toronto area have made the move to Prince Edward County or mm -hmm. elsewhere sort of in the Eastern Ontario neck of the woods. We have some folks who moved to rural Nova Scotia who are part of our company. Like there are mm -hmm. folks who've made moves all over the place and you're someone who does enjoy the outdoors. What do you think the impact might actually be on some of these more rural and remote communities to get these influx of, let's call them city slickers just for the sake of ticking some people off? Well, you know, it's been a problem for decades now that uh, young people who grew up, who were born and grew up in these small communities would leave those communities to get uh, university education, college education in, in the city, right? And then they never came back. So they were they were hollowing out these small communities and, um, you know, they were becoming sort of very senior oriented people on pensions who can't afford tax, property tax increases. And uh, so, you know, the the, the, the 
the coffers of these small communities were, were shrinking as well. So infrastructure was going unrepaired. And, and that, that's that been going on for, like I said, 20, 30 years. What we see now is uh, people moving back. These houses and homes are, are cheaper, much cheaper than living in the city. So you can sell your expensive place in the city and, and buy a, a very nice place in the country for way less money. So those properties have all doubled in value. You know, And if you think, man, I, I don't have to go to work, but even if I had to go to work one day a week or one day every two weeks, I don't mind an hour and a half, two hour commute just once a week or once every two weeks. I can do that as long as you have high speed internet. That's the key. Mm -hmm. Of course, people with disabilities may not necessarily have that kind of mobility to make that one hour and 30 minute or two hour commute. I mean, I know, for example, I don't drive, you don't drive. Uh, You're lucky enough to have a driver in your life sometimes. This is the number one thing I've put on my online dating profile. Must must be willing to drive me around. Um, But Lawrence, what what do you think the impact has been on people with disabilities, whether it be the benefit of remote work, but now maybe the push and pull coming back the other way? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, with disabilities... Uh, move to the city first for medical or rehabilitation services, and it's all there, right? And plus, you know, from an accessibility perspective, cities are a lot more accessible than small communities for various reasons. Like I said, they didn't have the money to put ramps in and elevators and things like that in their libraries and recreational centers. But I think, you know, for a lot of people with disabilities, they'd like to get back to, to uh, you know, living more with their families, going back, you know, to places and get out of the cities, maybe. The thing is, is it going to become a policy for, for employers to say, look, you're, you're a person with disability, you can telework because you have a disability. And is that going to be seen as an excuse for uh, not to make workplaces fully accessible? I mean, we've been fighting for this for what, 30, oh, gosh, 40 years forever. now. Yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. So it, is this going to be backsliding on the, on, on the, you know, on the, side of employers in terms of making those workplaces accessible. We all know there's still a lot of, you know, ground to make up there. Lawrence, I'm going off script on this last question. What do you think employers could do to actually entice employees back? Sort of the carrot as opposed to the stick. Well, a lot of them are doing it with policies. They're saying, look, if you... uh, (laughs) I I don't know if that counts. I don't know if that counts as a carrot. Uh, Making HR policy may not be a carrot. Sticks like there's a lot of through sticks. You know, if you move away, we're going to cut your pay because you don't need as much money to live in a small town as you do in the city. We we see examples of that. We're not going to pay for you to come to the city to come to work for meetings. You're going to have to do that on your own. So there's no uh, travel payments. You know, there's a lot of incentives not to move far away by employers. They're doing that for sure. But from an incentive perspective, I think I think. You know, there's a handful of employees who like to work from home. And the cost-wise to downgrade and get rid of office space, you know, that's a heavy cost, right? That's an infrastructure cost that you don't really need. And then you look at Office 2.0, where no one really has a designated space with their plaque, name plaque on the petition or the door anyways. You take those away and you just have a space with a desk. You plop your laptop down. You got your 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 cell phone. You know, all you need is a place to plug in. So, you know, that's the way offices are shaping up anyways. So you can really get away with a much smaller office footprint. And I think that's an attractive thing for a lot of employees uh, or employers and employees. You know, you come and go as, as need be. Just make yourself available as need be. But face it, there's always going to be people you want to hire that live in, in other provinces or even other parts of the world 
why can't you hire them? You know, if they have the skills you need, you, you can, you know, that's the person you want. And if they don't want to move to Ottawa or whatever city, that's, you can make it happen. You know, Starlink is, is almost being fully implemented, Dave. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's like, that's like 5G uh, internet connectivity, right? Anywhere you want with a satellite dish at a reasonable cost. And now they're actually getting into cellular communications as well. So, yeah. No, it's 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 just around the corner. I was talking. So are, so are flying cars. I was talking to my <laughs> aunt on the weekend who lives on the coast of Prince Edward Prince Edward Island, and one of her neighbors has got the Starlink. And let's just say the community is starting to bubble a teensy bit about the idea of some uh, faster internet in their uh, dial-up paradise, so to speak. Oh, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, it's fast. But Lawrence, I got two words for you to get employees to come back: free food. Just uh, hook, us, hook us up with some free food, and we'll be much more happy to uh, to indulge on the daily. Uh, Lawrence, we got to get out of here, buddy, but tell me right. what's coming up on the next edition of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. We paid a visit to the largest antique boat museum in North America. Oh, that is These up are your alley. Classic. Yeah, right on the St. Lawrence River. Beautiful old boats, 100-year-old boats, all mahogany strip, you know, good old rainforest wood. <laughs> but, you know, this is the way the, the, the 1% used to play 100, 100 years ago, right? They they had these gorgeous boats, and they're just and this museum is, is taking care of all these old beauties. Oh, my gosh, Lawrence, you get to live your dream every single day. <laughs> Lawrence, all the best to you, my friend. Have yourself an excellent day. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Dave. Have yourself a good one as well. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can find that podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Coming up next, Shani Saravanamutha will be here. She has some tips on what guests can do to attend a fall wedding. Could have used this conversation last week with Shiny. But first, let's talk a bit more about some of the upgrades to Apple's AirPods Pro. We'll talk about iOS 16 with Nelson Rego in a little bit. But Sherry Preston has these details the in Tech is Trends. The same. The dimensions are actually the exact same. Lily Katz is a senior editor for Sound Guys, and she says Apple's new high-end earbuds boast a new processor. You get better noise-canceling performance. It's more power-efficient, uh, and you get what Apple said during its presentation high bandwidth connectivity there are also some improvements to the spatial audio feature which will require you to take a picture of your ear it puts all these little data points along you know the anatomy of your outer ear and and can calculate uh, and calibrate the sound accordingly so it sounds best the case gets some changes as well there's a lanyard loop there's a little speaker on the bottom uh, for when you want to use find my which is an apple app to find the case with tech trends i'm sherry Preston, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You know, I just left Montreal, but here the show is dragging me back to the Belle Province in my old city of the 514 area code. Let's check in with community reporter Shiny Saravanamuthu. Hey, good morning, Shiny. How are you? Oh, Shiny, we have you on mute. Somebody has you on mute here. Let's try this again. Hello, Shiny. Hi, how are you? Hey, there we go. Now we've got Shiny. Shiny, I am great. I just had a very revitalizing weekend in Montreal that included a wedding, which is going to relate to your first topic because you have a bunch of fall weddings on your agenda. So first and foremost, how do you feel about fall weddings? Yay or nay? Yay. Definitely, yeah. I think it's nice. Summer weddings are nice too, but like fall, I'm I'm a fall person. And also it's not too hot, so you can enjoy the wedding and not feel too like, Sticky and gross. <laughs> and, you know, 
especially if they're like outdoor weddings and like, you know, if you're taking pictures outside, especially if you're part of the bridal party, I feel it's nicer when it's a fall wedding. And it's just the, the colors in Montreal are so nice in the fall that I, I'm a big fan of the fall weddings. It was 28 degrees in Chertsey on Saturdays. So I don't know yeah. if we, although it's not fall yet, it's still in theory yeah. summer wedding, even though it was after Labor Day. But uh, let's just okay. say the wedding party was definitely a little sweaty during uh, getting together, getting dressed and getting some of those pictures taken. But we endured. It also gave me an opportunity to wear a really funky straw hat and anybody who knows me knows I love an opportunity to wear a weird hat so shiny that then leads into some tips that you may have to offer about preparing for a fall wedding and I'm assuming clothing might be part of this tipping yeah and I just feel like with fall weddings you can get away with wearing darker color clothing because it is a bit more warmer and um just clothing wise it's easier to just kind of be a bit more I feel like in the fall wedding you can be a bit more casual too so it's kind of easier to get away with something that you probably already own in your closet and you don't have to go super fancy and it still looks suitable for the event. I feel like when it's summer, it's more, you have feel, I, at least for myself, I feel like you have to be a bit more elegant and put more, and there's a lot more brighter colors and all this stuff. So a good old black dress can never go wrong in the fall. <laughs> so I am a big fall wedding <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> yeah, I think I think context certainly matters a little bit here too. Like yeah. for example, this was an outdoor cottage wedding that I was at on the weekend. Now I was wearing the suit and the dress shoes, but there were some folks who were rocking kind of casual shoes with their suit. Yeah. One of my cousins was rocking these white sneakers with a burgundy red suit. I was so jealous of that look. I was like, that's so dope. Even the groom was wearing a pair of custom Adidas sneakers that he had made made a custom for the particular wedding. So it was like, it was really neat to see people playing with fashion beyond my straw hat. Yeah. I would probably wear a Converse to mine. Okay. All right. There you go. Shiny's custom Converse wedding. I like that. The other thing I'll say from a, from maybe a male perspective is the fall is a nice season to maybe bring in a vest as part of your suit. And yeah. uh, I don't know for ladies, I think it's a good opportunity for the shawl or maybe having like the cardigan sweater at the ready exactly. for later in the evening. Exactly, especially later in the evening and like always a great time for a guy to offer his jacket too, you know? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. except uh, my jacket's too big. It would be like a horse blanket (laughs) for any woman that I'd be trying to put it on. Uh, Shiny, let's move away from wedding season, although Mia, Ramya, and Nazreen are going to talk about weddings a little bit later in the show. I have dance floor questions for them, but Shiny, you want to give us some dietary advice. Maybe not so much in what we eat, but how we get what we eat. One of the best fall activities is apple picking season so is it something that you enjoy this time of year yes because i love fall baking it just makes the house smell so good it's delicious and uh you just dedicate a day to go pick all your apples and then you just have an abundance of apples so you are forced to try every single recipe in the book (laughs) shiny to say to to say there's uh, no shortage of apple picking farms around montreal would actually be um like, like it, it's not even a strong enough statement to say there's yeah. no shortage because there are so, so many apple picking farms. Where do you like yeah. to go? What's your sneaky spot that you want to shout out here on national TV? So Quinn Farm. So it's not really on the island of Montreal. It's in Il Perot, so it's a little bit further out. Like from the West Island, if anyone here is familiar with Montreal West Island, I would say it's about 20 minutes away. Uh, for me, uh, it's very close because I live away from the island, so that's why it's my favorite. It's literally like a 10-minute drive. Um, but they're a cute little farm, and they actually but like work throughout the spring and, uh, and everything too. Even during Easter, they have little Easter hunts for kids, but right now is their fall season. So right now, I 
I can believe till the end of September, you can still pick sweet corn. Oh. Uh, they have so good, their sweet corn. And then you also have your apples. And they also have a cute little shop in there. So they have some fresh baked goods that if you yourself don't like baking, but like, you know, you want to pick something up, they have a bunch of stuff there also. And then if you don't want to go pick your apples, they have bags of apples at the shop for you to buy. Um, but yeah, so I think uh, right now it's $8, but once they get into their high season of apple picking, it does become $10 because they end up having more variety of apples mm. as they bloom, right? So it becomes uh, a bit more, um, a little, I think $2 more, which is not bad at all because you get more varieties of apples. Um, I definitely recommend going before Thanksgiving weekend because you won't have much to pick from. Okay. So I would say like this weekend and next weekend would be your prime time to go. I feel like a lot of people go during Thanksgiving weekend because they are off, right? And something to do with the kids, but you don't have much to pick from. Shiny, I'm sure you shake your head even as you say some people don't like doing their own baking of treats. You, however, are someone who does enjoy the baking. Yeah. There are probably two iconic fall flavors in this neck of the woods, apple and pumpkin. Where do yeah. you land if I force you into that binary? Baked goods, apple. Drinks, pumpkin. <laughs> you, you cheated. You cheated on my question, but I'll let you, but I'll let you do that. <laughs> Quinn, Quinn, Quinn Farms, as Shiny mentioned, is uh, on Il Paro. And uh, if I'm, folks want to learn more, you can check out uh, you can check out our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now. Shiny, you wanted to give us another reminder about Fighting Blindness Canada's Young Leaders Summit, which uh, last time we talked about it felt yeah. like it was a little bit far away, and now it feels like it's right around the corner. So, not. Uh, so yeah, it is October 15 and 16. Um, so there's still room to register. And had, like we mentioned last time we spoke uh there are travel bursaries for those of um, them that are outside of toronto and if you are in toronto there's like a least a lesser amount so please do join it's a great weekend for you to connect with other people who have visual impairments young adults and just like learn from one another and honestly it's just a great weekend to have fun we do professional stuff and then we have fun at night so <laughs> wink wink so uh it's a great uh, it's a great weekend so i recommend it because it's something that we i always love doing so shiny not not to meet people in person who listen to this. Not, so. <laughs> not that we want to give away your whole itinerary here because we don't want any stalkers finding you, but is it going to be the train, the airplane, or are you getting a ride to Toronto? I am taking the plane to Toronto after so long. So... I'm excited. I can tell you, having just taken the train back and forth to Montreal the last couple of days, you really feel that fifth hour. Right, hours yeah. one through four, it's like, oh, this is no problem. But yeah. then as you kind of drag from Oshawa to downtown for the last hour, or in the yeah. case of a Montreal, just sort of from the West Island to Gare Centrale, you really feel the grind well, down the stretch. Oshawa to downtown, it feels so long. I agree. <laughs> You're like, I'm I'm in Oshawa. I'm so close. No, yeah. no, I'm still, I'm still a ways away, and now I need to fight my way out of Union Station. God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Shiny, I'll tell you this, it's still better than having to deal with Trudeau Airport or Pearson Airport because those two places like well, live uh, in my uh, nightmares. I into Billy Bishop because it's less of a headache. See, this is why you're our lifestyle columnist and a community reporter because yeah. you got that big brain. You've always got a strong strategy. Billy Bishop, don't sleep well, on it. But you can get there like an hour before and if you're early, you can ask to switch to an earlier flight. It's great. <sighs> Shiny giving away all the good tips. Now everyone across the country is going to know. Shiny, thank you for this. Have a great day.
Bye. Take care, guys. That's Shiny Saravanamuthu, community reporter in Montreal. As mentioned, if you want more information, including the FBC Summit coming up next month, head over to our blog, ami.ca slash now. AMI.ca slash now is where you head, and that's where you can find all that information. Always fun catching up with Shani. I like that she had some good wedding tips for me uh, a couple days after I could have used them. That said, I got two more weddings before this fall is said and done. So I got to go dry clean my suit because it's uh, pretty sweaty from the dancing and the uh, Irish cocktails that may have been spilled on me a couple times over the course of uh, Saturday evening and some of the beer that came out of an icy cold canoe. But uh, yeah, wedding season. Shiny's got good tips on that one. If you have wedding tips for me, you can always reach out to the show. We want your feedback. Send me emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. Put now with Dave Brown in the title. Gets to us a teensy bit faster. You can also find us at Accessible Media on Twitter, or you can give us phone calls, 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. After the break, I have the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's the Tuesday, September 13th, 2022 edition of Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, back in the big chair after a super fun weekend. So far having a super fun show, and that's going to continue because Nelson Rego of Cool Blind Tech will discuss some of the new accessibility features available for the iPhone 14. And we have another edition of the weekly news quiz shaking things up a couple times here in the last few weeks with me in the hosting chair. Love that. No more performance anxiety. Karen McGee will be here. That's always nice. Alex Smythe has been in the mix for a few weeks now. And today we put Jim Crisco's feet to the fire as well. Before we get to any of that, though, including Brock Richardson in a sports chat, I have the regional news update. British Columbia's financial outlook is showing signs of improvement with the new Democrat government forecasting a budget surplus. Finance Minister Selena Robinson says preliminary financial numbers for the first three months of the fiscal year show BC is heading towards a budget surplus of $706 million. But there are risks that could change. And a lot, uh, I need to, I guess, reiterate, can change between now and the end of the year. And we need to keep making thoughtful decisions, especially in light of what we see happening beyond our borders. But today's update is positive. Our plan remains protecting people's health and livelihoods today while building a bridge to economic recovery. Robinson did discuss the implications of a new contract agreement reached with public service workers. Um, I will be reporting out um, uh, uh, second quarterly, um, you know, and as soon as, as deals get ratified, we'll certainly have more to say about how that plays out um, on government finances. Robinson did acknowledge that despite the surplus forecast for this government is projecting budget deficits for two of the next three years. Let's head over to the prairies where Winnipeg police have laid more charges against a former high school football coach accused of sexually assaulting students. 52-year-old Kelsey Albert McKay was charged in the spring with 22 offenses against eight former students. Constable Danny McKinnon with the Winnipeg Police Service says another former student has since come forward. The sex crime unit was contacted by another former student who reported being exploited and sexually assaulted 
as a team by the same high school coach during the 2000s. The Manitoba government has applied to the courts to seize McKay's house and use the proceeds to fund crime prevention programs. Over to Ontario, where Peel police say they are coordinating a multi-jurisdictional investigation into shootings across the Greater Toronto area that left two people dead and injured three others. Lori Paris has more. The hunt for the suspect ended about two hours after the first of two reported shootings when Ontario's police watchdog says officers fatally shot the man who had been tracked down to a Hamilton cemetery. Police have yet to release the name of the suspect they say is responsible for the shootings that left 48-year-old Constable Andrew Hong dead and prompted a province-wide active shooter alert. Police say Hong was killed on his lunch break in an unprovoked attack while training in Mississauga and another person was injured. Officials say they believe the same suspect is responsible for a second shooting less than an hour later at a Milton, Ontario auto body shop that left one person dead and two others injured. Laurie Paris, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And staying in, in Ontario, groups representing thousands of public sector employees will go up against the Ontario government in court over a contentious law that capped wages for workers. Karen Rebo has that story. The labour groups are challenging the constitutionality of Bill 124. The law passed in 2019 limits wage increases at 1% per year for public sector workers. The provisions of the bill were to be in effect for three years as new contracts were negotiated. Doug Ford's Tory government said the law was a time-limited approach to help eliminate the deficit. But nurses, teachers and Ontario public service workers consider the approach unfair and a violation of charter rights that protect meaning full collective bargaining. They're hoping the court will agree and deem it unconstitutional. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And let's finish in the Atlantic provinces, beginning in PEI, where their Hillborough Hospital's acute geriatric psychiatric unit has declared a COVID-19 outbreak. The province's health authority says visitors on the unit are restricted to three partners in care for each patient with only one purse partner in care present at a time. It says the unit will be closed to new admissions except in a rare case when it's required and masks continue to be required in hospitals, service areas and offices. And then in New Brunswick, the first phase of a chemical treatment aimed at eradicating an invasive fish species from New Brunswick's Miramichi watershed has been completed. The working group on smallmouth bass eradication says the chemical rotinone (laughs) rotinone was used last Thursday to kill the fish in Lake Brook and in about 15 15 kilometers of the southwest Miramichi River. I should have proofread that copy before I posted in the script. It says the six-hour operation was limited to the area where smallmouth bass are known to be present. Local cottagers opposed the operation, warning the chemical would kill all the fish in the lake and prevent them from enjoying the waters for swimming or fishing. That's a look at regional news. Now let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, I need your help, my friend. I was pretty much off the grid all weekend long, spending time with friends and family around this wedding. I would say in total, I probably watched about two and a half hours of football. And anybody who knows me would tell you that's a significant under on the number. Caught no baseball, no hockey, nothing else. So everything you tell me today, Brock, is going to be revelatory. And you wanted to start with a story that I had no clue about. What happened with Ted Barrett checking someone's hair over the weekend? Who's Ted Barrett and whose hair were they checking? And what was he looking for? 
Okay, so this is... I saw this yesterday. I did not see this live. But uh, Minnesota Twins manager Rocco Baldelli asked home plate umpire Ted Barrett to check Cleveland Guardians pitcher James Karinchuk's hair. Now, he's checking it because uh, he kept going back to his hair. James kept going back to his hair and wiping it. And so Rocco Baldelli came out and said, look, can you check his hair for some kind of substance? Because clearly he's doing something with his hair. And it's not so much the fact that he checked his hair. It's how he checked his hair. Ted Barrett was having a conversation with James and basically massaging through his hair during an entire conversation. It was like very, very weird, very, very... On a sort of uncomfortable, like if you didn't have the audio on in this, you'd be like, "What is going on with Ted Barrett, and why is he massaging James Karen Jug's hair?" Needless to say, there was no substance; it was literally sweat. But if you haven't seen it, I I, I strongly suggest you go and look at it and just see what I'm talking about because it was it was uncomfortable, weird, and wacky. But nonetheless, you he, know, there's no substance here. We're trying to put baseball back on the radar, so a little bit of sensuality between the umpires and pitchers might be uh, might draw <laughs> a new demographic. Uh, Brock, you also wanted to give me an update on what's going on with the under twenty three World Championships. Was this the was this the uh, the the, ba- the wheelchair basketball we were talking about last week? Yes, yes. So Canada had been winless thus far, and they got a win uh, this morning over France, fifty eight. 56, uh, Canada was in a tough pool. They faced Brazil, Spain, and Japan. Um, and all of those teams are expected to be among the top when we finish this all said and done. So good win for Canada. They were up by about seven or eight. I was watching it, albeit a little bit groggy this morning. I was watching it and, uh, they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, uh, which was not good. Um, but they, they got it done, and it was in overtime. The uh, victory was obtained. Brock, this tournament, and maybe the notion of success in general at tournaments, got you thinking about what it means to exit a tournament appropriately. Yes. So tournaments like this are tough because you're dealing with kids that are under 23, and they were in a very tough pool, as I mentioned, with uh, Brazil, Spain, and Japan. Having said that, the exit meetings are really, really important for uh, the coaching staff to make sure that the athletes have their right mind there. There's a a number of athletes that are and do have potential in making the national team. So you do want to make sure that you don't leave them on a sour note. You want to, you know, keep their confidence going. But it's very, very tough when you were more than doubled in some of your games and losing by double digits in the rest that you were not uh, doubled in score. So it's tough as an athlete to, to go through that. I've been through it. I've had some good exit meetings. I've had some bad exit meetings with coaches. And the ones that go bad make the flights home really, really long and really for lack of a better word, uncomfortable. And so Mm. I do hope the coaching staff uh, does take the right approach with these young uh, athletes because they are molding them for the future. And a lot of the times the coaches that you deal with on a junior level that mold you in the right way and prepare you 
to go towards the national team, which is a whole nother ball of wax. But I just hope they're doing the right thing because mm-hmm. I know what it's like to have a tough tournament like that. When you have a disappointing result, certainly the last thing you need is to be kicked while you're down. The exit interview can be honest, but you don't want to be beating up on people in that moment when they just went through the loss. And as you say, you've got to fly home. Maybe uh, maybe we sort of use those learning opportunities after everybody gets home and maybe sleeps in their own bed for a night or two. It might sort of... And you know what? And you know what? The fact is, is you have to use the the sandwich effect. You have to start with a, a positive. You got to move to the thing that we need to work on. And maybe there's a, a double double meat patty in the middle there. Maybe there's two things you need to work on, and then finish with a positive. And I think that's really really crucial to make sure that athletes take home the right uh, right information because Thailand is a long long oh. way uh, from from Canada, so it can be a long flight. It's pretty much about as far as you can get from Canada, depending as to where you're flying <laughs> from. It's Yeah, it's it's a long one. It's a journey for sure. Uh, Brock, on Saturday, while I was mostly off the grid, I did get a push notification on my phone from TSN telling me they were going to show a football game between Ohio, not Ohio State, just Ohio, the Bobcats, and Penn State. And I thought to myself, why on earth? Is TSN showing this game? This is not going to be very interesting. But then they put a little addendum on the push notification and said, such and such Rourke, Canadian, such and such Rourke is going to be representing Ohio in this game. And I thought to myself, well, there's a famous Canadian quarterback named Nathan Rourke who's been tearing up the CFL this year. I wonder if there's a relation. Brock, you dug a little bit deeper into this. And there is. We are talking about uh, Nathan Rourke's brother, Curtis. And one of the things that stuck out in this uh, 46 to 10 uh, loss to Penn State was the fact, and I got that same push notification, which led me to turn it on because I thought, well, okay, let's check this out and see what's going on. The, the thing that kept going on in the broadcast was, is he better than his brother? Is, can he be better than his brother? And I, I don't know that I have seen enough to be able to say one way or another, I do see similarities. I do see some differences. I think Curtis is um, as confident as his brother in the pocket. I think he's able to read plays. I think he's still got that same sort of immaturity that Nathan had where it's like, I can put a ball in triple coverage and my guy is going to catch it. And it doesn't work as easily as it may seem in your head. I do see potential but I'm not sure I'm ready to like anoint him, quote unquote, better than his brother. I'd have to see more than yeah. just one game in order to do that. And I don't understand how the broadcasters can say, oh, I think he can be better because I'm like, it's one game. Can we not do this? That's like saying yeah. you know, whoever wins their opening game is going to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, we, we know that doesn't happen. So it's it's just I don't know. It's yeah, too it, early to say. It's to me, Brock, and I don't mean to sort of like poo-poo the, even the topic that you're bringing to the table. It's like such cliche, vapid Canadian sports media analysis to be like, "There's a Canadian who's somewhat okay at some sport. Is he better than his brother?" It's like the it's like the worst possible way to cover college sports from a Canadian perspective because there was a doozy game that took place at noon on Saturday between Alabama and Texas, two of the greatest programs in the history of college football, and because that game 
is not picked up by a TSN affiliate, it was on Fox, of course TSN's not going to talk about it. You're never going to grow the sport if you actually don't talk about the good games, regardless of what you have the broadcast rights to. It was one of the greatest days of college football, and I missed it. I missed Blood Saturday with upsets all over the place. Texas A&M losing a game to, uh, to Appalachian State. Marshall beating Notre Dame. This was like a remarkable, remarkable day of college sports. And like Nathan Work's older brother should not be taking the center stage in regards to the Canadian angle of football conversation on it. Talk about the good games. Talk about the good games. And that's not me dissing you, Brock. That's me dissing the entire Canadian sports media landscape that does such a poor job of talking about college football. So, boom, that's my hot no, take no, for you there. And I understand what you're doing. And that's part of the reason I brought this because literally that's the only push note that I got. As a, And I'm not, not going to sit here and pretend. As a you know, a lukewarm college guy who goes, well, I don't know which game to turn on. I went because I'm like, well, TSN pushed it. And then I watched it and I'm like, well, that was garbage. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are we doing here? Right? Like, this is so literally I need to send you a message, you know, before the weekend say, which game should I check out? Because TSN is not going to be my, my, my push that I'm going to use. Brock, I tell you what, every Friday during the sports chat, what I'll do is I'll pick one or two games. And I won't give sort of a big, long thing. Because, again, there's only so many people who really care about college football in Canada. But I will, I, will give you, I will give you sort of a couple quick curated thoughts on a couple games that I believe will be on Canadian cable. Sometimes it's a bit of a crapshoot. But we'll definitely work on this one together. We're going to grow the sport together, you and me. Uh, Brock, give me a quick takeaway from last night's Monday Night Football game between Denver and Seattle. I watched the first half, and then because I was exhausted from a week of dancing and drinking, I uh, went to bed. But what was your takeaway from last night's game? Look, uh, that was a game that Denver lost. Like, Denver should have won this game, hands down. They were in the end zone three or four times, and all they could come away with was a fumble or a field goal. And it, it's all well and good. I'm I'm okay with that. But And I get that they, you know, this is the whole rivalry of having their quarterback come back. I get all that. But Denver, you should have had this game. The fans are what they are, and they are there. And they are the best fans in the world. But my goodness, what a crappy end to a football game that that just should have been better if you were Denver I mean Denver is the better team on paper and it just poor ending do you believe in Pete Carroll I don't know how much time we have but do you believe in Pete Carroll and what he can do or was this kind of a one-off and they shouldn't have won that game? So he's the Seattle Seahawks head coach, just in case anybody's curious. Super Bowl winner. He's been there for about 11 years. He's a huge part of rebuilding that team. Brock, I was stunned by the outcome. I was stunned that Seattle won that game last night. They are worse on paper everywhere than Denver in wide receiver, on defense, defensive line, quarterback. Their, their team was in the middle of a rebuild, and those fans were jacked up on Monday Night Football. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos came unprepared for his big return to Seattle and I would say that's a perfect example of why Pete Carroll is still an excellent coach because he had the details down to a T on what to do against his old quarterback and they exposed him last night and that AFC West is going to be a tough run for Denver and the Broncos this year they could not get out on a bad start going 0-1 with tough games down the pipeline that's a rough start for Denver and a really nice job from Seattle who I still think isn't going to win very many games this year but they gosh oof they played hard and last how night. Do you, how do you fall asleep basically against 
your your old team. Like that's a game you should be getting up for and ready to play. And I just like there was so many sloppy things that I'm going, okay, this is this is nuts. And like I'm looking at Geno Smith and I'm going, so what is he? Is he good? I and I don't, I don't, I'm not a believer in, in yeah. Geno Smith. I'm sorry, I'm just yeah. not. It is no. It is worth noting though, home doggies barking all weekend on the betting front. So uh, home underdogs picked up a lot of wins this weekend and had a lot <laughs> of covers for those who are so inclined. Brock, now we are tight for time, but you have to tell me because today is the first official day of the neutral zone airing at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI Audio with the YouTube clip coming down the pipeline not long after. What's up on the, What's coming up on the show today? We had a chat with uh, Canadian Paralympic Committee CEO Karen O'Neill. Fantastic, fantastic conversation. Couldn't ask for a better uh, better start to a guest. Uh, then we got on to talking about MLB rules, which I will bring to you tomorrow and ask you which of the rules you like and don't like. And we got on to talking about our ages and why did the conversation of you're not even eligible for the uh, shoppers seniors discount come up? You will have to tune in. <laughs> to the broadcast. <laughs> I love that. Brock, thank you for this, my friend. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Talk to you tomorrow. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of The Neutral Zone. You can find that new program dropping today at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and the YouTube clip coming down the pipeline not long after as well. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada, starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Its clouds are clearing this morning with a high of 23. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny with a high of 26. In St. John's, New Brunswick, it's a mix of sun and clouds becoming cloudy this afternoon in a high of 23. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly sunny, then becoming showers and possible thunderstorms this afternoon with a high of 24. In Toronto, Ontario, clouds rolling in with possible showers or thunderstorms this afternoon in a high of 19. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, scattered showers in the morning, then clearing in the afternoon with a high of 22. In Brandon, Manitoba, sunny and it becoming a mix of sun and clouds later with a high of 20. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers this morning in a high of 17. In Lethbridge, Alberta, there's widespread smoke with a special air quality statement in effect due to the poor visibility and breathing conditions with a high of 21. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's it's cloudy and hazy, but becomes a mix of sun and clouds later in a high of 23. In Whitehorse, Yukon, a mix of sun and clouds in a high of 16. In Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy with showers or thunderstorms expected, and again, widespread smoke with a special air quality statement in effect and a high of 21. Finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly sunny, hazy, and a high of 21. Now with your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the show. But coming up next, Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will discuss some of the new accessibility features available for the iPhone 14. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's dip our toe into the waters of accessible technology with Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So, Nelson, there was much hubbaloo and hubbub and all kinds of chatter last week when <laughs> Apple finally dropped the details of iOS 16. I know you'd been sort of giving us little hit, little hints and breadcrumbs over the course of the last couple of months. So now we know iOS is being released. It was released yesterday. But people are wondering, hey, is my device still compatible for this? So, Nelson, which devices will be compatible with this new software upgrade? Yeah, so we're, we're going to break some hearts today. <laughs> um, so uh, if you have an iPhone 8 or newer, and of course, if you're going to get the new uh, iPhone 14 and, uh, you know, the Pro and the Pro Max, uh, when that comes out later this week, uh, you're going to get uh, iOS 16. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, the 6S has had a long run. Uh, this would have been seven years if they would have uh, updated. So uh, the you can finally retire your your iPhone 6s, uh, you know, seven. Uh, the one interesting thing is the uh, the iPhone SE. Uh, so if uh, if you have the first gen um, iPhone SE, uh, it, you're not going to get this update. But if you have the second or third gen uh, SE, um, you're going to get this update. And, and there's a, a way to check on your phone uh, to make sure that. Uh, you have the right version. Yeah, so Nelson, we just threw a lot of like terminology and numbers at people, six and sevens and eights and X's and all this stuff. So yeah. give me that advice. How do I get into my phone? Well, I don't have an Apple phone, so it wouldn't be me. But how does an Apple user get into their phone and determine whether or not they are going to be eligible for this iOS 16 if they want to make that update? Yeah, uh, just simply go into uh, your settings. So uh, under settings, uh, you want to, uh, to go to general. And then there, um, there's about. Uh, so once you go into about, uh, you'll be able to see the uh, the model uh, of your uh, device. And if you have the uh, the iPhone SE, uh, then you can actually see specifically uh, when yours was released. So if you have, um, I think it came out I was um, 2016, the first SE. So if you have that one, then you're out of luck. But if you have the uh, uh, the second gen, which came out 2020, I believe. Uh, then you're going to get the uh, update. Uh, so um, it's uh, I, I wouldn't suggest for people to like uh, just jump on iOS 16, but uh, I do have it. I, I have been running the, the beta as as you mentioned earlier, uh, and it's it's very stable for you know for the device I had. So, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I would suggest people like uh, may, maybe wait a version because uh, you might lose some features uh, in typical thing. It might not be compatible with all your apps. Yeah, I uh, never, I never, initial rollout. I never download the software update right away. I always give it, I always give it a little bit just because I know it's going to mess with my settings and I know it's going to yeah. mess with things that <laughs> I like. And, and then I'm just going to get another download notification like a week later being like, oh, okay, we fixed the bugs. So I, yeah. I'm always, I'm always someone who will wait just a little bit. Although my phone becomes very insistent. It won't let me swipe away the push notification. So just sit. Oh. There staring at me for days, saying, "Dave, it's yeah. time to update your phone. Come on, <laughs> do it." And uh, eventually, eventually, it breaks me because my OCD kicks in. Uh, Nelson, you are always toying with new devices and trying new technology. So you actually wanted to give a shout out here for some new tech and apps, some picks, if you will. So, do you have a favorite go-to piece of technology or a, piece, a device lately? 
Yeah, it's a, this is interesting timing. So I, I'm going through a major renovation. Uh, a lot of my gadgets are in uh, storage and in bins, uh, but I did find something that I happen to have uh, uh, in my renovation. Um, th this here uh, is a, a little receptacle. It's from, uh, I'm not sure if you can see that on camera. Yeah, hold it, right, uh, hold it up just a little higher, Nelson. How's that? Perfect. It's like so, a little cube. Uh, so you, have like a little, you have like a little cube, a little rectangle in your hand. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a hardwired uh, wall receptacle, uh, and uh, basically it has a USB C and USB A. So I've been finding uh, it's harder to find the USB A cables, and that's the the bigger sort of uh, rectangle uh, port that you put into your uh, devices. So USB C seems to be the uh, uh, the cables that that uh, people are starting to sell now. Um, but basically, with this one. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been a bit of a handyman uh, all my life, so uh, I'm comfortable doing this sort of thing. But I, I don't recommend people to do basic electrical, uh, especially if they can't see. Yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, easy got... on that one. Easy on that one, folks. <laughs> you got to match those colors, right? <laughs> um, but it, I the reason I got this uh, is uh, mainly because um, I, I, I was getting those uh, little plug-in ones that we have like six plugs, and then it plugs in the wall, and then you can put your USBs. Uh, so, so that one I would recommend to most people that don't want to touch uh, the electrical. Uh, but the problem I have is that uh, uh, once you have that on and then once you have your plugs in there, uh, then your little critters, uh, little cats that, uh, or little dogs they may have in the house, they're going to go behind that furniture and they're going to sneak behind uh, and get to those wires. Uh, so uh, my next step was to sort of, sort of make it more flush uh, against the wall. So, uh, and that's what I, I've taken that extra step. Um, now, in this case... Um, it is a, a five watt, so it's like a standard uh, a charge. So you're not going to get fast charge out of this. Uh, but the cool thing is, um, you know, you'll be able to plug directly in the wall. You won't have to look for that uh, adapter. You can just use your cable and plug yeah. it in, uh, as long as it's long enough uh, uh, to reach. Um, the uh, one thing, uh, so I got this one from Costco. In on, in this store, it's 19.99 in store. But I was looking online, and online it's the exact same product as 28.99. Uh, so keep in mind, if, if you do uh, buy some of these things online, uh, you're going to have some stores that got to charge extra uh, for uh, purchasing on, online. So uh, if it's something you're interested in, uh, then definitely check it out. Uh, it did have like a, a one star review uh, because it has this tamper proof uh, uh, mechanism inside the, the plug. So if you put it, the, your plug in just off an angle, uh, the little tamper thing uh, kicks in and it kind of blocks you from uh, pushing your plug in. And that's more for kids. Uh, that uh, like may stick a little, uh, you know, metal things inside to one side. Uh, so it only activates when both of them are, are pushed in exactly at the same time. Uh, so I, I, I've been testing it out and actually works pretty well. Uh, so I, I may have to like change that uh, one star review from that people are giving to a, a little bit better uh, review. <laughs> I don't think you get to go in there and decide who gets to give someone uh, one star. For that. That's okay. You're a powerful man, Nelson. What about an app that you've been, <laughs> what about an app that you've been playing with recently? Oh, uh, I got this one. So we're starting our hockey season uh, coming up soon. And this is something that's been sort of uh, uh, been a, a bit of a thing that's been tedious for me to uh, ask for people who's coming out, uh, jerseys, light and dark and all that sort of thing. So um, so someone on our team recommend this app and and I tried it expecting that it wasn't going to be accessible. And, and then, of course, when I first what's, launched Nelson, it, what's the app? What's it called? Oh yeah, so so it's called the uh, Bench App. So uh, B E N C E H A P P. Uh, you can uh, find it on Android and iOS. Uh, I, I have it on my iOS uh, device. Um, 
but you're going to have an issue with logging in, but they do give you the option to log in through their website. And after you uh, uh, have signed up for the initial process, uh, you can actually use the app as as normally uh, you would uh, be able to. But, and as a voiceover user, uh, I would say it's maybe 80, 85% accessible, um, which is awesome for me because I've been looking at these apps for for years to try to uh, sort of streamline things uh, on our hockey team. Um, and it does more than just hockey. You can actually do uh, other sports as well uh, if you choose to do so. Uh, I could find like other games in my, in my area. Uh, so if I want to join a shinny, I, I can uh, put set myself up there and then make myself available and then uh, join a you know a hockey game or a shinny uh, if someone needs a, a goalie. Oh, I see. Uh, so it's like it's like crowdsourcing guys for beer leagues or for shinny leagues. Yeah, it has that. It's option, like it's like the it's, it's, it's like mainly... the Uber it's like the Uber eats of joining of joining beer leagues. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the features. Uh, it's called Finder. It's, it's at the bottom of the. Uh, there's like five tabs at the bottom. Uh, it has a chat feature where you can uh, chat in group setting or individually, like a private message. Uh, and then it has the uh, the roster where you can go through the roster of the players. Uh, and then you'll see in there who's going to be able to show up and who's not going to be able to show up. Uh, there's a feature in there where you can uh, connect it to your calendar. Uh, so you tap on that link and then it'll uh, populate your calendar. You know, give you those reminders, uh, you know, because we, we have a few people on our team. They're always asking me, when's our next game? And and I have to uh, go in Messenger and keep updating yeah, them. So yeah, th- Seven, this, 17, this actually... 17 different group chats. There's one in WhatsApp, <laughs> and there's one on Facebook Messenger, and there's oh, yeah. one guy who doesn't have either, so you have to send them an email. And then somebody else yep. is like, oh, just DM me on Instagram. It's like, guys, one space, one spot. Let's make exactly. this easy. Uh, Nelson, before we let you go, you want to talk yeah. about one accessibility feature on this new iPhone 14 that's getting dropped later this week. Yeah, just quickly. Uh, so uh, uh, in their in the latest update for iOS uh, 16, um, someone had noticed uh, a code uh, as far as um, accessibility-wise. So they're not 100% sure what devices this is going to be onto. It's not on my device because I looked in settings; it's not there. Uh, looks like it's going to be iPhone uh, 14, uh, possibly the Pro models. They're even saying, uh, and that gives you the option. And, and this has been something that blind and, and partially sighted people have been asking for. Uh, I know I've, I've been wanting it for uh, for some time. It'll actually give you a tone uh, similar to the, the the Mac sound when uh, you turn on and off your your Mac. It'll give you that uh, that kind of startup sound. Uh, so you can enable that uh, uh, on and off in the settings. Uh, if you go under uh, settings accessibility and then uh, power on uh, off sound. Uh, so that's that's a nice little uh, tip out there. Uh, unfortunately, it seems to be for uh, possibly iPhone 14 users only. Interesting that uh, that that one isn't something can just be enabled across the board. Like there wouldn't be some kind of wake sound you could put on it on any given phone. But uh, I yeah. suppose what the uh, what the good apple, what the good fruit giveth, the good fruit taketh away as well. Uh, <laughs> Nelson, we got to get out of here, man. Thank you for this. Great, take care. That's Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech. I want to remind you, coming up after the break, we'll be bringing in Ramya Amuthan, Nizreen Abdelmajid, as well as Alex Smythe. Might even drag Eliza into this, too. Why not? Just put a million people on the air to have a little roundtable chat. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. back it's now with dave brown on ami i've been alluding to it all day what a lovely time i had a wedding at a wedding this weekend 
but I want to get the general vibe of the crew when it comes to wedding celebrations. I have a couple more to get to by the time this is all said and done. So let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid. We'll bring in Ramya Amuthan. We'll bring in Alex Smythe. And you're even going to hear from Eliza down the stretch on here as well. But let's uh, just do these things one thing at a time. Good morning, Nizreen. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. And good morning, Ramya. Morning, Dave. Welcome back. Thank you very much. And a big good morning to Alex as well down there on the Zoom line. Hello, Alex. Hey, Dave. Good morning. Good to continue chatting with you today on today's episode. (laughs) Okay, so I did a lot of dancing on the weekend, guys. My entire lower body and back is killing me. Turns out at 38, Irish jigging for 25 minutes, no longer a sustainable activity. Everything is swollen and hurts today. Nizreen, I know you like DJing. Do you like dancing at weddings? I love dancing, and I also dance while I DJ, so it's a plus plus. <laughs> well, at least when you're DJing, you get to you get to pick the songs that you're going to shimmy shimmy and exactly. shake to, and you can also be like, okay, that was a little too intense. Got to turn down the intensity on this next one. Let people catch their breath. Ramya, what about you? I do like dancing, but I'm a bit more um, shy, or you know, got to get that liquid courage in, probably, Dave. <laughs> and but I do love dancing. Like I, I can feel the vibe. It's more, you know, building up the courage to actually start dancing. Alex, what about you? Do you like do- you like popping on the dance floor at a wedding? You know, I, I think I tried to save everybody um, a, a un. Uh, forgettable sight of me on a dance floor with my lack of coordination with my lack of uh flair and style uh i'm not a big dancer but I, i'll do it occasionally and depending on the situation the vibe uh, you know whose wedding it is if i know enough people i i don't mind embarrassing myself in front of my family but if i know a couple people maybe i'll, I'll hold back a bit yeah, I like I like dancing in a group. I like the protection of dancing amongst a group because I feel a little bit self-conscious. And even, I, I don't mean to mean this is too much of a blunt instrument, but as someone who's legally blind, I sometimes don't want to wander into the wrong dancing circle. You know, it's a great way to make friends, mm-hmm. but it's also a great way to make enemies when you interrupt a line dance that's going on. So do you ever get a little bit self-conscious when you're on the dance floor as a result of maybe being, as a result of disability? Ramya, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. The disability is probably the biggest thing I can point to to say, why am I nervous or shy when it comes to dancing? It's that I don't know what anybody else is doing and I don't know if I'm doing what everybody else is doing. And that's the the vision, 100%. Nizreen, what about you? I think it gets worse when they dim the lights as well. Even when you're dancing with someone, when they dim the lights, I'm just like, uh, I don't know where this person is. I don't know who I'm dancing with. I don't know what I'm doing at this point. So yeah, I I can relate. Yeah, it's, for sure. It's true. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be a coordinated dance that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I had a moment where I locked eyes with my uncle on Saturday during Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani and Akon. And the part during the chorus, I don't know if I can do this. I screamed a lot this weekend. And we kind of locked eyes and we did a little move sweeping our arms into the air at each other, which, again, not a planned, coordinated move. But thanks to my little bit of vision and a dance floor that wasn't too stroby, I was able to have a little bit of fun and make that move. Alex, you expressed a certain self-consciousness. Uh, do you think disability has anything to do with that? Yes, because when you dance like Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld, there's a lot of elbows, a lot of knees, a lot of legs. And you don't know where those are swinging. If someone's coming into that range with 
getting an elbow in the nose. That's the last thing you want on the dance floor. So yeah, definitely having limited uh, vision, especially within the peripherals. And, and as uh, Rami and, and Nisreen had mentioned, when the, the lights get dimmed down and the lack of uh, night vision certainly plays a part of that too. So let's wrap this up on this thought, guys. Let's say Nazreen is in the DJ booth and we're making a request because now we've had that liquid courage and we want to get on the dance floor. Ramya, what song are you requesting to oh. get yourself moving to Nazreen in the DJ booth? Oh, snap. I didn't even think about that. Um, I would say any kind of Beyonce, but then the competitiveness mm. is probably going to be serious on the dance floor. <laughs> but I love jamming to Afrobeat. So it's not mm. a particular song, yeah. but I'll just say the genre is poppin'. I uh, made a request, and it was granted to me this weekend, to get Timber by Kesha and Pitbull on the speakers. And yes. uh, then that line dance broke out, so I wasn't able to show off my what I call my cowboy my cowboy lumberjack dance move. But I'll save that for one of these weddings <laughs> later in the fall. Alex, what about you? We take you over to Nazreen's DJ booth. What are you requesting? You know, it, it may come a bit of a surprise, but when it comes to dancing, and I, I, I can't get enough of Black Eyed Peas, classic Black Eyed Peas, you know. Late Ooh. 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, like uh, any of those, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll get me going every time. Yeah, very, uh, very popular music. Although, as James Spader on The Office put it, the Black Eyed Peas is hip hop for people who hate hip hop and rock for people who hate rock. Um, Nazreen, you're now in the DJ booth. You control us. What's the song that's going to get us moving based on your thoughts? You can never go wrong with Afrobeats or throwbacks, but I think Sean Paul really, oh. it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't disappoint. doesn't disappoint. Any track of Sean Paul does not disappoint. Temperature, get busy. Oh. Yeah. I'm uh, not going to mention the DJ by name here, but he did play in this era of co cancel culture. He did play Ignition by R. Kelly on Saturday. And even though there was a collective groan amongst the people, within about 40 seconds, everybody was on the dance floor. Yep. Ah. See? I believe you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's crazy the exceptions that we'll make within cancel culture. And, like, it just blows me away. Like, people will just play Michael Jackson willy-nilly and be like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know? And then R. Kelly's yeah. Ignition comes on. Everyone's like, okay, free pass for Ignition. Free pass for Ignition. You're a scumbag, but free pass for Ignition. It just it kind of blows me away, the sliding standards that we have here. But you know what? That's a different conversation for a different day. Alex, Nazreen, goodbye to both of you. Ramya, I got a quick question for you, though, because you're the host of Kelly and Company. What's coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern time today? Yeah, I just want to say, though, nostalgia hits really hard. Oh, can't it help sure it. does. Can't help it. Yeah. Okay, so today we're going to talk. It, it is a Tuesday, but we're talking meatless Monday options with nutritionist Julia Caranches because she's going to fill us in. You know, this is a, a, um, a throwback conversation for us, and we got to keep people posted on meat alternatives. Uh, also, back to school is long known to be an especially tr stressful time of transition for teenagers, and there's a national charity here in Canada that's making this transition period as seamless as possible. Talking about mental health, we're going to learn more about that initiative. And a quick and fun way for people out there thinking makeup in the fall, a quick and fun way to add to your fall look is with a berry or wine lip. I know nothing about this, so we're going to go to the expert, <laughs> okay. Bella Strange. <laughs> Bella Strange is a makeup artist, and she's going to give us accessible tips and tricks uh, every month, and this is the theme for this month. Very good, Ramya. Thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you, Dave. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming your way next... Oh, it's the weekly news quiz. I'm hosting and putting Karen McGee, Alex Smythe, and Jim Crisco to the test. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. For the second time ever, I get to be the host of the weekly news quiz. Hi, and welcome to AMI's Weekly News Quiz. I'm your host, Dave Brown. Joined by contestants this week, Karen McGee, Alex Smythe, and Jim Crisco. Hello, Karen. Hello, Dave. And hello, Alex. Hi again, Dave. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Dave. All right, let's get down to business. We have three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the option and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Paul Daniel, and the questions were compiled by Paul as well. The order will be Alex, Jim, and Karen. Alex, question one, going to you. Last week, Gustavo Armel, the chief financial officer for which company died after he jumped from the balcony of his 18th floor Manhattan apartment? Oh, I know this. I know this. And he just took over in 2020. Oh, Jesus, this is going to bug me. Uh, I need the options. Was it Hobby Lobby, Bed Bath & Beyond, or Crate & Barrel? Bed Bath & Beyond. That is correct. Amarn was facing allegations of fraud as the retail chain's stock has lost more than 70% of value over the past year. So one point for Alex. Question number two, heading over to Jim. A suicide bombing outside the Russian embassy killed two members of the embassy staff in which world capital a week ago? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm going to need the options, please. The options are Kabul, Madrid, or Oslo. Um, I'll go with Madrid. That is incorrect. Karen McGee, an opportunity to steal. I'm going to try Oslo. That is also incorrect. Default oh, points. I just gave him a point. Default points. Going to Alex Smythe, now holding I a no-do-nothing <laughs> lead. ISIS claimed responsibility, saying a militant wearing an explosive belt blew up at the embassy entrance. Karen number three. Karen, well, Karen, not Karen number three. She's Karen number one. It's question number three to my Karen number uh. one. Vice President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner was target of a failed assassination attempt last week in which country? Ooh, I'll take the choices, please. Was it Brazil, Argentina, or Uruguay? Try Argentina. That is correct. Reports suggest the assassin's firearm was loaded but jammed when he attempted to fire point blank at Kirchner. So after round one, Alex has two, Karen has one, and Jim is still sitting on the goose egg. That said, Jim gets the first question of round number two. Jim, last week, the National Arts Center Orchestra launched their new season with a tribute to Queen Elizabeth II, performing a work from the Enigma Variations. The work has a long association with solemn occasions, including the Queen's own coronation in 1953. Who composed the late 19th century piece of music? Oh, wow. Uh, options, please. <laughs> Was it Edward Elgar, Franz Schubert, or Benjamin Britten? Uh, let's go with Benjamin Britten. I'm sorry, Jim, that is incorrect. Karen McGee. I'm going to go with B. That is also incorrect. Another oh, default it. point for Alex. Edward, go with a. Edward Elger, the NAC Orchestra, <laughs> marked the monarch's death this past week by performing variation number nine from Edward Elger's Enigma 
variations. Karen, here's an opportunity for you to try and make up some of the ground here and stop giving away default points to Alex. The first day of school was canceled last Wednesday in which large U.S. city as teachers went on strike? Chicago? That is incorrect. Alex, would you like the options or do you want to take a stab for two? Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll take the options. Was it Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, or Seattle? I thought it was uh, Philadelphia. That is incorrect. Jim, there are two options available to you here, Pittsburgh or Seattle. And if you don't get this right, I get a point. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take a stab at Seattle. That is correct. Jim is on the oh, board. <laughs> Red-shirted teachers and staff in Seattle Public Schools took to the picket lines instead of the classroom striking for the first time since 2015 over issues that include pay and educational support for students who have struggled with years of pandemic restrictions. Question number three of the second round is going to Alex. Alex, several students at the East Ottawa and Air... East Ottawa area Gloucester High School criticized officials this week for failing to address which of the following problems at school. Uh, I will need the options to know I which. Un- I understand <laughs> that because that could be any number of things. Was it vandalism? Air conditioning that doesn't work properly. Something that uh, people who work on now with Dave Brown have been complaining about for three months. And bathroom stalls without doors. I'm going to say vandalism. That is incorrect. Karen McGee. No, sorry, Jim Crisco. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll say uh, air conditioning. Nope. They do not have the same problem as the now with Dave Brown studio. Karen McGee gets the default point. Uh, so that ends round two. I believe, sorry, I lost count of the scoring system already. Too many moving pieces. Well, can we, can we put up on screen there what we've got? We've got, Alex with three, Karen with two, and Jim with one. So anybody's game heading into the third round. By the way, bathroom stalls without doors was the uh, complaint. I can see why people might not like that. Round number three. We're starting off with Karen McGee. We're in the sports world on this one, Karen. This player was named yesterday as captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Youngest player ever to be named captain of the team. Who is it? Oh, Oh, come on. I've been so wrapped up for the queen. I'll take the choices. I'll know it when I hear it. Was it Youngest player? Cole Caulfield, Kirby Doc, or Nick Suzuki? I was going to say Nick. That is correct. Nick Suzuki is the right answer. He's, as well as being the youngest Habs player named captain at age 23, Nick Suzuki will be the second captain of Asian heritage in the NHL after Paul Correa, who served as the Anaheim Ducks captain. I miss Paul Correa. Loved watching Paul Correa play hockey. All right, Karen McGee in the mix with that one. Let's get this question over to Alex, who might be able to put a fatal blow into this news quiz. The Netherlands city of Harlem is set to ban most advertising for which product from public spaces? Uh, I'll need the options, please. Is it guns, cell phones, or meat? I'm going to say meat. That is correct. Meat is indeed the right answer. The counselor who drafted the notice says meat is very harmful to the environment. Amsterdam and The Hague have banned ads for the aviation and fossil fuel industries. So not a lot of uh, free advertising going on around uh, Holland. So that's a big marker for Alex right there. I think that puts him into a commanding lead. But let's uh, give Jim Crisco another opportunity here. Jim, last week, Ruffles and This American Food Chain released this new type of chicken-flavored chips. Which chicken chain is it? KFC. Jim, Jim, oh, 
Jim, I know the answer. I can beat him. No, you wouldn't help me. <laughs> this is every man for I themselves. Need this one. Every man for themselves. Yes, the answer is indeed KFC. The new flavor combo promised is a media release of rigid crunch of Ruffles potato chips it, and dusted it, in KFC as conic club and herbs and spices. It does not taste like chicken. I try them. They do not taste like chicken. Karen McGee, Chip Insider. Okay, with that, our winner is. Alex Smythe, congratulations on your first news quiz win. Thank you, thank you. It's uh, it took longer than expected, and and I hoped, but I'm I'm glad I could do it today, and I'm just glad I could beat my dear friend Jim. There on you, his that's return. that's true. I forgot that you guys have a long-standing relationship here. This was a rivalry in the making. Uh, Karen, I would say a very quick goodbye to you. So, Karen, have a nice day. Thank you. Alex, you have a nice day as well. Jim, we've only got about 30 or 40 seconds there. I know certainly it's more southern Alberta dealing with some of the wildfire smoke, but what's it like on the ground in Edmonton right now? Uh, Edmonton smoke-wise is fine, but certainly uh, southern Alberta seems to be getting hit a lot harder. I'm seeing a lot of uh, photos and and people uh, posting out of Calgary and and Lethbridge and those places. Um, So, yeah, they've got it bad, but Edmonton seems to have avoided a lot of it. We We have a little, but nothing like, previous years yeah i think uh, their environment canada is describing it as hazy otherwise known as what it's mm-hmm. like to spend friday night with me jim have a great <laughs> have a great day we'll talk to you soon you too thanks Dave. that's jim crisco a content development specialist not the champion of the news quiz that is alex Smythe. we'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m eastern time until then i'm dave brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.